we see that in hunting. I mean, we talked about this, like <laughs> even sitting in the tree stand. It's like you, you know. I always say the women know everything because you'll watch these does come out. Like I'm just thinking about like white tail does, and they come out like they're so skittish. They just know everything that's going on, and they'll come to the perimeter and they'll start stomping their their hooves. Like you guys have all seen this before. You know it, and it's like they know what's up. They always know when something's up. And then the bucks just come out all dumb, like, do, 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 do. And that's why they get shot. That's all they're thinking about is, I just want to have sex. I just want to procreate here. All right, let's do this. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Hunt Harvest Health podcast. This is Dr. Hillary. Hope everybody is having a great summer. Um, it is September, and that means a lot of you are also out there in the elk woods um, and the deer woods starting your season. So good luck to you. Ryan, of course, as you can tell, is not here. You can probably guess where he is. He is in the elk woods of Idaho currently doing a solo hunt. Uh, he's in his happy place. So he's not going to be here for a little while, and probably most of September he will be gone. But uh, today's podcast is a good one. It's with our friend Julie Sire. She is from Tacoma, Washington, and um, Ryan's known her for quite a while. She is a lifelong hunter. She has been, she was actually conceived in hunting. She tells the story in this podcast. Uh, it's a really good story. And um, I wanted to talk with her because, hey, I, I like talking to the ladies in the sport. Um, obviously, I'm a lady. I don't hunt. But um, I seem to really connect with a lot of these gals because, truthfully, they have a lot of the same interests that I do. Uh, Julie has kind of had a varied background with the hunting, the fishing, um, living on the coast in Oregon. But she's also lived off the grid in Canada with her ex-husband. They had a, a small homestead there. Um, she's had an organic farm in Washington, raising animals and, and veggies. Um, she's currently divorced and has two children and is a rep for a company in Seattle called Novo Nordisk. And they rep a new revolutionary diabetes, um, basically medication that is really radically reversing what we're seeing with diabetes. And she's going to talk about that in this podcast. I also love it, the fact that she's a real brainiac when it comes to health, comes to nutrition. Um, she knows her biochemistry. And so we touch a little bit on diabetes in here. Um, we kind of talk a little bit about everything. And to tell you the honest truth, uh, we did this podcast kind of late at night. We, uh, I was in Seattle working. We got together. We had dinner. Um, yeah, we had a, we had a few drinks, uh, on a Friday night and then we did started this podcast at about a quarter to 11. And if any of you know me, I kind of turn into a pumpkin after 10 o'clock. So I was in the beginning, very excited and we were talking and as you'll see in this podcast, you can tell I kind of start getting a little bit tired, but, um, I was a little worried when I listened to it. I thought, Oh, geez, Hillary what were you, you know, doing? Cause I, I just remember going to bed so exhausted, but actually it's kind of one of my favorite podcasts. Um, we touch on a lot of different topics. There's all kinds of good juicy stuff in here, relationships, sex, um, nutrition, food, and lifestyle, um, women in the hunting industry, uh, the perception of, of women in the hunting industry and kind of where Julie would really like to take it. Um, her experience with going to Hollywood and pitching a TV series um, about women who hunt. 
Um, and she'll talk a little bit about how that turned out. Unfortunately, it didn't happen like it should have happened, I think, but that's Hollywood for you. Um, so it's a really fun podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Julie's a great gal. If you want to connect with Julie, you can go to Blonde on the Hunt on Instagram. She's got a little bit of everything, um, hunting, fishing, girly stuff, yoga. She is into yoga. That's one of the reasons Ryan probably wanted me to connect with her. He said, oh, look, it's a woman who hunts and does yoga. And so um, she also is kind of one of the women. She's the woman who started what's called the Big Game Hunting University. And that was at Sport Co. in Fife, Washington. And that was the place that Ryan did his very first public speaking engagement. Um, him and Joey did a talk together on their backcountry experience, backcountry food, uh, and she, um, she also is on the outdoor line, which is, um, a radio show in Seattle on Saturday mornings. And, um, they convinced Ryan to do this talk there. And we talk a little bit in here about it, but obviously now Ryan is comfortable. He's been on, I, I can't even probably tell you how many dozens of maybe a hundred podcasts by now. I'm not sure. You probably all more know than I do, but he's been on so many podcasts. He's done numerous public speaking engagements. He's also now the, you know, um, mastermind behind the Western Hunting Summit this year, uh, which stay tuned, folks. We got some big stuff coming up for next year. But I won't give you any more information right now. Um, but, you know, he, he has gotten really comfortable in his element now. Um, but that was the first place he ever did it. So she, we have a good laugh about how hard that was for him that first time um, doing that. But, you know, probably uh, we also owe some to her and to, to, to the Big Game Hunting University for really helping Ryan crawl out of his shell a little bit faster and do those things that um, he swore he would never do. But yeah, I just didn't, I'd enjoyed my time with her. Um, Julie and I also are possibly going to work on some projects in the future together. Um, we do have a lot of the same interests in health and wellness and um, helping the hunting and the outdoor community. Um, we also talk about diversity in this podcast and how the hunting world is starting to, even though it is a very tiny demographic, it's, it's a diverse demographic and we tend to forget that because we typically think of hunting as, as only maybe even Caucasian white male sport, um, or hobby, but, uh, she talks about some of the diversity she's experienced in, in, in all different types of races, um, sexes, a sexual orientation. And, you know, we, we want this to get out that this way of life is valuable, that the meat is valuable, that the food is valuable, that the animal's life is valuable. Um, and, you know, it really kind of brought me back to the podcast that I did with Robbie Kroger um, from Blood Origins. And he came and introduced me. Uh, well, he didn't introduce me, but he interviewed me for his um, Blood Origins series that he does. And, you know, he, his mission is really to share the hunter's and the non-hunter's view of hunting. And um, one big demographic that he's really focused on, I think, is women, which is great to see because it is supposedly the largest growing demographic in the industry, uh, but it's traditionally, it's not, it's not the normal demographic. And probably historically, hunting has traditionally been more of a male 
dominated uh, event, but more women are getting into it. And so with Robbie's project of Blood Origins, you know, he he really, uh, he, he wants to talk to those people. He wants to talk to the women. He wants to talk to the spouses who don't hunt but understand it. And talking to Julie kind of um, reignited a lot of the things that I heard Robbie talk about when he came here and, and with the project that he's doing. And so I I, I feel that uh, in this industry, times are changing, people are changing, uh, the world is changing, and, you know, we, we need to, in a lot of ways, there's no need to justify what y'all do out there, but I do think there's a way to show respectively what you do, and, and so that you can continue to do this way of life, because as we all know, it's always in jeopardy from the masses. And we want to share with the masses that this is valuable and that they too can learn and benefit from the health health aspects of it, the nutritional aspects of it, the um, the camaraderie, the community. I don't know, learning about yourself. Um, and I know sometimes it's probably funny to hear me talk like this because I am not a hunter. Like I am not going out and I am not hunting. But... I see the value that it brings to my family. I see the value that it brings to my husband's life. Um, I see the value that it brings to many, many other people out there, to those of you who I've interviewed and talked to, to those of you who have come up to me on the street and said, thank you for what you're doing um, by sharing this information. I, I, I see the value in that. And so to me... I, you know, I want to spread that word about the people like you out there who are living this way of life in a really respectful way. And, you know, the future's coming. Um, the future's always been coming and the past is the past. And um, we have a lot to learn from the past, but we can move forward and I think do it in a very respectful way. And unfortunately, you know, stereotypes will always be stereotypes and usually stereotypes are for a reason in the beginning, but, you know, breaking the stereotype, uh, I think would be a good goal <laughs> so that this life style can remain. And, you know, this brings me back to another interview too, that I did with Jenna Waller, um, last spring, gosh, it's, it's been a year and a half now, uh, a year this last spring, um, the podcast that I did with her, the two part podcast. And, you know, she's a phenomenal woman in the sport. Um, and she's a phenomenal person. And I would have never thought that I would have had a friendship with someone like Jana if I had just seen her in a picture uh, from what I wanted to stereotype her as. And I remember her telling me in that podcast that she's had over 4,000 people, probably even more than that by now, that she's had to block on Facebook trolls and, and people saying horrible things to her. And just as Julie talks about in here, you know, she makes some reference to that as well. Um, yeah, we, we need to, uh, support women in this community to do this. If they want to do this, support our daughters, if they want to do us and obviously support, support the women that don't want to do it. But, and then as women, I feel that it's important to support those in our lives who do do it respectively and they need it. They need it in their lives and, and it will create, nourishment as well as um, I think a tighter bond with your food and with each other because like I always say you know and I probably said in this podcast I don't have any relationship with the animals that I buy from a store um, and I don't personally have any relationship with the animals that Ryan kills because I wasn't there in that moment 
but I do have a relationship when I know where it came from and I know the story and even just seeing the antlers and seeing the animal and um and cutting up the meat and grinding the meat and cooking the meat um I do have a it, it creates a personal relationship for me and so um I only wish that we could all you know experience that uh and I believe that eating meat is a very important part of being healthy um and you know that's just my opinion but I think understanding where it comes from more is, is important. But Julie's got some great stuff, great stories. I also wanted to just tell you, you know, we have some other great podcasts coming up soon. We're going to have one on CWD. Uh, we have some guys from Wisconsin that will be here talking with us. Wisconsin's kind of an epicenter. And I know they've talked about it on Meat Eater. And Joe Rogan talked about it, big podcast. But um, I get a lot of questions about it, honestly. Uh, I, I just wanted to talk to somebody who's kind of in the trenches with that. So we'll be talking about that. I'm going to be doing a great podcast with my friend and colleague, Dr. Jake Bull. He's a chiropractor here in Bozeman. And um, I'm going to be talking about chronic pain. I'm going to be sharing a little bit of my family history as well as my personal health history um, with chronic pain, hormones, and then that discussion with Dr. Bull. And I think you'll really enjoy that. Um, he's a new hunter from... He's from Iowa, born and bred, football player. He's got a great story, so we'll be talking with him. Um, we're also going to be, me and Ryan, sit down and we just chat about his Nevada mule deer story. So as always, those tend to be very highly listened to podcasts. Um, and so we will be putting that out here eventually once Ryan gives me the thumbs up on <laughs> the edits and as you can tell right now it's kind of hard for me to get him he's in the mountains so um but we'll get that one out as well and then of course uh i've got a number of food fridays that i want to do no food friday this week you're going to get this um great podcast with julie so again if you want any more information about julie or you want to contact her at blonde on the hunt on instagram and as always, we hope that you stay tuned, maybe put a, give us a review on iTunes, share this with your family and friends. Um, and then you can also, you know, help support us by listening to other places where we are appearing. Ryan um, has recently done a Rich Outdoors with Brian Barney. I believe it's on Cody's Patreon, but that's probably an awesome interview. Of course, you can always see Ryan and what he has been up to with his hunting season on the Gritty series. Right now, it's the New Zealand series. He also has the Bear series. There's one more New Zealand. It comes out this weekend, I think, um, and that'll make five total for that, and then that series will be done, which is kind of sad. We look forward to that every Sunday um, lately, but... All right, so we appreciate all of your support. Um, also, remember, we sell CBD, Bent Herbless Hemp. And I've got to tell you, we get a lot of reorders. And um, when that happens, you know that it's helping people. So if you do have any feedback on C your CBD product that you've been taking, if you have any testimonials, please feel free to shoot us an email at info at stahealthy, don't forget the H, stahealthyhunter.com. Um, and as always, you can buy that CBD at Hemp for Hunters or bentherbalisthemp.com. All right, everybody, enjoy this podcast. Have a great weekend.
crazy to think of how people find each other and get together and even friendships, you know, why, yes. how, you, how you meet people in your life, right? It's traditionally work. Yeah. It's traditionally through family, school or work yeah. is, is how people meet and um, the relationships that are created through that. And then, you know, how long your life is and how many friendships and relationships yeah. that you have in your life um, are actually very few, yeah. right? Like mm -hmm. there's only maybe a handful of people in your whole life that you would really mm -hmm. like call up on the phone and yeah. talk to and share your deepest things with. And, you know, some people like they get married like one time in their life, you know, that's like, yeah. or even, even if you think about it, even if you've been married two times, like there's this only two people on the, of all the people on the whole planet. That's crazy. And it's just a kind of crazy thought to think about that. I will say that's one of the like benefits of social media as much as like I try and at least we've, we talked about this earlier, yeah. but, um, have tried to like stay away and be a little bit more private. Um, and under this umbrella of privacy is the new currency. And I've truly found that the more I step away from it, the more I find my life, which is incredible, deeper meaning in my life. But, um, I've just met some incredible women through social yeah. media that I would have not met prior so right. I think that that's been, and, and not just women, but men and women and connections and opportunities. Um, and that's been one of the, the coolest things. It's like having a pen pal. Well, that's the whole reason I'm sitting here with work. you because, uh, well, let's see. Ryan followed you on Instagram. <laughs> but had we never started Stealthy Hunter Instagram, you and I wouldn't be sitting here right. talking. Absolutely. None of the people that we've met, that we've become friends with, this podcast, mm -hmm. none of this would have happened because he was really embraced by the, the small hunting community yeah. and it kind of exploded. And then that's when he started saying like, huh, maybe we should do a podcast. Maybe we mm -hmm. should do these things. And um, that's how it all started was that Stealthy Hunter Instagram page. It's such a beautiful evolution too. <clears throat> like when you think about the skills and talents you bring to the podcast and that and, <laughs> and then also Ryan. I love you know. to laugh at that only because <laughs> we had so many debates about that in the beginning. I but was it, like, uh, nobody wants to hear me talk about my hippie weird ways and medical stuff. You know, yeah. I think hunters just want to talk about animals and I don't know. And boy, I was really, really proven wrong by that. Yeah. Well, they, they got to be healthy enough to go hunt for those animals. And yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's an important part. I've seen that now. And I say this to a lot of people is that, um, you know, the number one thing I hear as a physician now that mm -hmm. I see all these hunters, because suddenly I'm some kind of hunting expert, even though I've never hunted, oh, I've never killed I killed a chicken in seventh grade in science <laughs> class. I chopped its we chopped its head off and I plucked its feathers. Yeah. Have I killed anything else? I've killed some fish. I will take that back because I used oh, to fish Alaska. when I was a kid. Oh. Yeah. I killed fish. Yeah. I don't know if I've actually yeah, I did. My grandpa and I used to go fishing. I didn't have a problem with it. I've killed worms. I've thrown worms <laughs> out to fish. <laughs> so I've done Rebel that. Vegan. I admit it. I haven't killed any big game. I never purposely killed like a rabbit or a squirrel. Really? I might have run over one. 
I ran over a raccoon on 405 and that was traumatic because <laughs> he ran out in the middle of the night. I ran over him. I felt so bad. I was like hyperventilating and crying when I got home. At least he was not a skunk. But here I am, you know, yeah, here I am and I'm talking to hunters and, you know, yeah. the, the number one thing a lot of these guys and gals say to me is, I want to hike that mountain until I'm 80 years old. Mm -hmm. And if you really think about that statement, uh, the statistics are stacked against you. Yeah. They just are. I mean, you can't to hike a mountain like my husband does. It's insane. You know, we have this running joke that, oh my gosh, you know, it, 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 what he does, he's not going to be able to do that forever. Right. But just to do that's really hard. So the statistics are stacked against you. It's just mm -hmm. like, um, most people don't want to die in a hospital. Right. Where do most people die right. in a hospital? Mm -hmm. Um, and so, this is where, you know, this conversation about health comes in. And, and maybe what I had to contribute to the community was just to be like, no matter what you're doing, no matter what, if you love something and you want to do that, you do have to take care of yourself. Yes. You know, if, if you want to, I mean, anything really, but especially mm -hmm. physical exertion like that. And so I think a lot of guys, because this is such a male dominated industry mm -hmm. and there are, there's obviously a huge increase in women who are getting involved and whatnot. But I'm thinking back to like when I was a young girl and watching like my dad go out and my grandpa and my uncles and you get these guys who start hunting really young and they work construction or they work, you know, labor, manual labor jobs. And so they're staying fit through their twenties and then they start hitting their thirties and maybe they're working desk jobs and forties and whatnot. And they're just not able to keep up the way that they used to. And they're yeah. having to really look at their lives and go, if I'm going to continue doing this, I have to make some real changes. Um, and even like a lot of the guys I shoot bow with now, they're like, I need to, to lay off the six packs and I need to start, really looking at my nutrition and start taking care of myself because the trajectory of my life is not wellness. Right. It's not what I want for my life. That's, I feel like that's what I hear the most of. So, yeah. And, and, uh, you know, a lot of people can't live by example. And if your example was, you know, your I, dad and your grandpa, they are carrying a baby around and, mm -hmm. Um, you know, not in their arms, in their belly. And <laughs> they're drinking beer every time they go hunting. And yeah. they're like, well, I'm still doing it. You can still do it too. You, you know, I, I mean, it's not very, um, it, it can be hard to, to break that. And so you, you do need community that supports that, which I, I, I haven't been in the hunting community very long, but I've been around, around Ryan and his family and mm -hmm. it's really changed the whole mm -hmm. perception of it. Right. And like what you do need to do to stay in the mountains and, and what you do need to do to be able to chase those animals and um, how you do need to take care of yourself. And you can't just expect to be like that and, and not take care of yourself. And right. I feel like even in the last 20 years, you know, watching that evolution, um, it's changed a lot mm -hmm. and we just have so much more education too. Mm -hmm. And we have Google. You can look up anything. <laughs> we have Dr. Google. We do. And, well, and people, I mean, you know, you've got 
someone like Ryan and Joey who have this cult following because everybody wants to be, not just be like them. I shouldn't say that. It's people respect what they do because they know that it takes effort and investment. So there's that type of hunter. And then there's the like 2 p.m. on a gravel road pulling, you know, their 30-06 out of the, the, the door and just shooting roadside. And that doesn't require any training year round, you know, it just requires showing up with a tag. And so I think what they've done, um, has really revolutionized, um, the perception of what it truly means to be a hunter because we're so far removed from that very like primal instinct of who we used to be. I mean, we were hunting before we became a nation. Um, it's been around that long. So, yeah, we'll talk about that. Well, well first, let's introduce you. <laughs> <laughs> we could talk all day about um, health and nutrition. So I'm sitting in uh, your home here mm-hmm. uh, in yeah. Tacoma, Washington. Yeah. Um, would, would you like to know her name, folks? You would like to know her name. <laughs> Julie Sire. Uh, I know you as like the yoga girl who hunts that was kind of like where I was getting at earlier Ryan Uh followed you on Instagram and he would show me he'd be like see girls who hunt do yoga too because you know I used to be a yoga teacher and I used to love (laughs) yoga and I was like all right and then I think the first time I was really exposed to you was you you and I think Robbo and some other guys invited Ryan to talk at the Um, what was it called? Big Game University. Big Game at University at Sportco in Fife, mm-hmm. which is just north of Tacoma. Mm-hmm. And um, that was Ryan's very first public speaking gig. So he turned white. <laughs> I'm telling you, when we started this podcast, he was like, fine, I'll do a podcast, but I will never public speak. Don't <laughs> ever expect me to public speak. And I really didn't think he would because. He's mortified. He was mortified. And I was shocked that he didn't fall over dead, like just, or pass out vasovagal, blah, you know? Um, And he, since then, and and he's spoke for you guys how many years now? So we've done it for two. It's two two years. years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because I've got two, two years of backpack. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so you you are the girl that sits in his backpack. You can go to his Insta and see him, see Julie in his backpack because she's a tiny little petite thing. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and but he always talked with high reverence for you mm-hmm. because you know I think he he was trying to say to me mm-hmm. like there's women in this sport that um. Well, there's there's just good women in this sport, and you need to meet some of these women. And I always kind of thought, well, I'm not going to have anything in common with these mm-hmm. women. Like, but then he was like, she does yoga and she <laughs> likes healthy food, and I was like, oh, okay, uh, great. You know, but now. <laughs> it was great that um, he did that, and you did that. So that's how I first heard about yeah. you, and then you. Um, can share more about yourself, share mm-hmm. about your background. And I wanted to have you on the podcast because um, I think it's important. Women are the largest demographic, the, the, the largest growing demographic in hunting, um, especially in archery mm-hmm. and bow hunting. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
again, yes, hunting is a male-dominated lifestyle. Mm -hmm. I'll call it that. Ryan always shakes his finger at me if I say hobby. And, (laughs) you know, but it is a, it is a definitely a male dominated lifestyle, Mm -hmm. but with the largest demographic growing as women, you know, that brings into question, you know, what is it about the sport that's attractive to women? Mm -hmm. Um, and how do we bring women into hunting where we feel like, I, I don't know, it's, it's hard when it's a lot of men, right? Like, You've talked about this. You go to events, you're like the only woman. Yeah. It's all men. Yeah. Um, And not to put any guys down, but when you're the only woman, it's intimidating. I will say, and before I kind of introduce my background, but there was one auction event and I won't say any more than that, but it was my girlfriend and I, you know, we went as as guests Mm -hmm. to this very large auction and you've got the only other females in the room were the lingerie models for one of the packages. And, you know, so in some regards, it's still very much a girl boys club. And, and, you know, for the men out there who know me, you, you know, I know my, I shouldn't say that, but I know my place in a lot of ways, like, but I'm also very much an advocate for changing things in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Um, and having more of a female uh, presence because I think it's really easy as a female to be overlooked. I can't tell you how many fly shops and how many just, you know, even looking for bows. Are you looking for something for your boyfriend? Are you looking for something for your husband? And I'm thinking, I'm a single woman. I'm looking for myself. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it would... I think the industries have adapted and changed and they're starting to see, especially with the presence of women on social media, um, that women are actually taking um, a huge interest in this for themselves and they're putting their money where their mouths are Mm -hmm. and money talks. So, um, but we still have a long ways to go. And even in the terms of like what products are available, I remember when we first started with Sitka Gear to, to launch the women's line. And I mean, I'm a itty bitty petite little thing. I mean, I'm still wearing, you know, youth extra large because I still can't get a size that fits Mm -hmm. me right. And, you know, when I ask for something, it's like, um, you know, we're probably not going to expand because there's just not the volume, like they're hitting a really small niche. And, and I understand that from a business perspective, but still, you know, when you grow up, we talked about this earlier, Mm -hmm. but wearing fleece that's fluorescent orange that your you know grandma's next door neighbor made for you it's it's not waterproof and <laughs> the most important thing to keep a woman in the field is to keep her com- comfortable right dry and warm so um so do you want so to talk more about your background okay that's how i got into this yeah talk about i just uh, woke up one day and decided i wanted to hunt <laughs> no well no tell the very beginning let's talk about the, the very, very beginning. beginning what happened what was your mom and dad doing on an elk hunting trip actually like an elk country conceiving children like i thought guys were like all they thought about was the animal so so the story goes one Sunday yes. night in elk camp basically my um my family has been hunting for forever and my grandfather kind of staked out his own claim it's like gold rush country you know he staked out his claim in the blue ridge mountains up in elgin oregon and 
they had a camper up there and a tent and it was like when snowy night and my parents had to sleep in the tent and then this is my first my mom's first time um elk hunting and nine months later my twin sister and I were born (laughs) so and how many more times did your mother hunt not once (laughs) she never went back so um so yeah, so that's where it began. My dad was out fishing the day we were born. My grandmother had to run out to Hag Lake, if anybody knows where that is in Oregon, and flag him down and be like, Jeff, Karen's giving birth to the girls. You've got to get to the hospital. So I was pretty much born into hunting and fishing. Um, but truly, it, that's true. Um, my dad had twin girls as his firstborn, and he just he never treated us like boys. He let us be girls. Mm-hmm. He just took us along with him everywhere he went. And so we, I mean, he was my idol, my hero. I just really looked up to him with like all this like admiration and, um, you know, just curiosity more mm-hmm. than anything. And, you know, he would line up um, the reloading system in the garage with the shot shells. And my sister and I were like the little, the um, assembly line. And we just loved, love, love, love doing that. Um, and he would tie his own flies and, you know, built his own fly rods and we would archery, we would shoot bow. Um, he shot recurve and so did my grandfather. Um, and then they transitioned to compound bow. Um, but we, grew up around that. Like it wasn't not normal for us. You know, we grew up shooting pop cans and learning how to shoot pistol and, um, all of these different types of things. And he, um, he actually almost shot the state record whitetail, which in, on the Eastern side in Oregon, they don't get, get as big as you Midwest guys see, but, um, but on, um, archery. So kind of just all public land too. Um, and that just to me was always fascinating. And, you know, growing up, we'd have the big, um, you know, the elk Euro mount hanging in the, over the fireplace and all the Christmas stockings got hung from it. Hmm. And, um, we didn't, we thought, um, venison was beef. Like we didn't know, like uh, everything we ate was deer elk that either my dad or my grandfather or my grandmother hunted. In fact, there's kind of one story. My grandfather and my dad were out hunting and they're walking along the road and they're like, Jan, you stay here. We're going to go look, look down here a little ways. And they got lost and it got dark. And there my grandmother is like, she's just the most like silent soul, but just super savvy and witty. She just, she stayed right where she was. She knew not to leave because she'd get lost or, you know, somebody couldn't find her. This is up in the, in the back country. And she built herself her own little fire and they found her at 2 a.m. And sure enough, my dad got a mouthful from my grandfather for, for having got them lost. But, um, you know, my grandmother shot multiple deer, you know, and hunted. It was just an annual family thing. Everybody was involved. Hmm. And so we were field dressing deer at a really young age, you know, we'd get the styrofoam packaging out that they'd save from the butcher shop and we'd be, you know, processing the meat. And, um, it was just a full on family affair. And I like to tell this story too, because my grandfather, it like Thanksgiving and different holidays, um, 
he would like hang a bed sheet up on the wall and he had one of those old Kodak carousels, right? With the slides. Yeah. And we would all have to sit down on the floor, all seven grandchildren. And he'd get out the little, you know, Kodak carousel and go through all the slides of hunting season. It was like, <laughs> we'd have to play spot the buck. Like, you know, who can see where's the buck, you know, and look. And um, it was just kind of funny, but I, I, I really remember that. Like those were special times because we, we felt like we were included in all that. And it was something that was just a heritage piece for our family. Um, and then, so, so we are in, that's how we are introduced to it. So I, you know, there's a lot of people who get into hunting now, a lot of girls, and it's all about image and show and, you know, whatever your reason is, it, it, that, whatever, as long as you love it and you're passionate about it and there's, you know, your why behind it, I think that's really important. Um, for me, my why was because it was a family thing and I loved it every year when my dad would go hunting and come home and he'd have this like scruff on his face and he'd have this like, you know, his red Ruger hat and his flannel and he just smelled like camp and um you know my mom would be making you know teriyaki venison after that so it just that for us was everything so once once i um grew up and got older for me my passion became more than just hunting it was sourcing my food mm-hmm. and so when i had my organic garden and it was one acres of vegetables and did animal husbandry. Um, this was in my, my former marriage, but, and I openly share this because what we did together was pretty impressive. Um, but we had goats and pigs and chickens and we raised and butchered them. Um, and we've lived off the grid in Canada, um, and truly known what it was like to kind of come back to this very simple primal way of living. And it was like this, this incredible experience of getting back in touch with like, where does my food come from and knowing the true source. And I've been a big Michael Pollan fan for years, Mark Bittman, Dr. Hyman, like you run down the list. Um, but I became obsessed with vegetables and, you know, I joke that I could eat salad for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And that's true. But, um, really providing my, or just providing a different way of life for my family and knowing where my food comes from. And so, um, so we did that. I mean, I was, you know, we were pheasant hunting, deer hunting, fishing, and everything in the freezer was, came about through the field or the farm. So, um, that was really my passion. And then things just kind of progressed from there. And there's more of like a, a, you know, social presence, but I'll be doing this forever. Mm -hmm. Um, and so even, while life gets busy and I'm not hunting as much as I want to or fishing as much as I want to. And people are like, where, you know, are you not getting out? What are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm a single mom and I work a full-time job, but I have this perspective that this is a lifelong thing for me. And so the times I do get out and hunt and fish, I'm taking my kids out now because I've got a son who's 10 and a daughter who's 12 and they want to be doing these things. Um, and so actually this year I, I called up one of my friends, Caden Boggs, I actually did a cute little interview with him, but he's just this young kid who's just gets, he's probably like a young Ryan in a lot of ways, like always out there just yeah. hunting or fishing. Like that's all he's doing. And so I said, Caden, can, you know, Ryder said for Christmas, all he wanted to do was go duck hunting. And I said, can we take us, take us out duck hunting? So we just hit one of the farmer's fields, you know? Yeah. And Ryder just shot crow. <laughs> 
crows <laughs> most of the day, but I mean, it was just such a fantastic experience. So, and then we came home and we, you know, um, dressed and cooked the duck and, you know, I wanted them to see the whole thing. It was like a anatomy lesson as well as a cooking lesson. Mm -hmm. Um, and I will say part of my passion has always been about, um, cooking healthy recipes. So when I was writing recipes for Whole Foods and for Organic Girl, they were all using like, I mean, I was submitting recipes with um, Wild Game and it was all local, seasonal, fresh recipes. Mm -hmm. So, And how long did you do that for? I did that for, gosh, probably for Organic Girl, I did it for two years and Whole Foods. I picked it up on the the last year. That one was tough because they wanted like, we want 13 recipes that are gluten-free, fat-free, dairy-free. Like, I'm like, so you want 13 different ways to prepare celery. Like, like, yeah, basically. Okay. So we'll just do the liver detox cleanse cookbook. That's just really celery. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So I did that for a long time and then I went through my divorce and, uh, you know, I talk about that openly, but that's when things change pretty, you know, pretty drastically, but it's still a passion of mine. And I know I'll get back to a lot of that. Um, but in the meantime I did, I, you know, I've wrote, um, 13 episodes for a TV program. I went down to Hollywood and met with the William Morris agency and pitched my show field to table. And I'm really proud of that. I think there's, we still have a long ways to go for hunting or female hunters. I'm not sure who aren't Amazonian women to be embraced in this culture. Um, you know, and I'll say like, even in college, I was vegan because I didn't like the way, like where my food was coming from. It was like this silent protest. Um, but I, I really think the more that we can educate people on, um, you know, really honoring those animals and using everything, but more than that, just, I mean, there's just so much education that still needs to happen, um, for it to be an acceptable thing across all platforms. I mean, I still get death threats. It's like people on Facebook, they're like, I hope you die the same horrible death that deer died. And I'm like, actually, like that deer I shot and it went down, like took two steps. Mm-hmm. And if you think about what a wolf or something else would do to it, yeah. it's an incredibly different story. Yeah. And I used every bit of that deer. From using, you know, sending the the hide off to be spun for flies and then, you know, all of the meat and everything. So, Wow. So hunting is something that's kind of ingrained in you and you you had mentors, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And I still Uh do. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Which is maybe not the case for a lot of people. Sure. Right. Especially maybe now where they've haven't lived with mentors or they haven't lived that way and they don't know where to start. But, um, I think the important thing sometimes is just for people to understand that they do have a part to play in the process. Mm -hmm. And I think that we get disconnected from that, Mm -hmm. right? Like you could just go to the store and buy your food. So you've kind of disconnected yourself from the process and from the food. Well, and I think I got to that point where it was like, I remember um, eating this piece of chicken once. This is before we we lived in Canada. And I was like, it is so flavorless. I can't put another bite in my mouth. 
And it was interesting because when we raised our own, uh, we had brooders and layers. Mm. And when we harvested our own chickens, I've never tasted meat like that before. Mm-hmm. You know, mm. it tastes all more like um, like the rough grouse you find. Um, very flavorful and rich and just doesn't need any seasoning at all. And the, the portion sizes are smaller. And, you know, there's not these huge chicken breasts and, you know, filled with a saline injection. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that being said, like in this world of keto and paleo and all these things, I remember having like visceral reactions to these, like going, none of you are out there chasing woolly mammoths down for your food. You're going to Burger King and getting like a hamburger patty, you know, mm-hmm. um, that's you're still missing the point for what good health and good nutrition, what's sustainable, um, what's just true sustainability really is. And, and while I, it is not realistic for everybody to go out and have their own organic gardens and raise their own animals, um, especially in a world of Postmates and Uber Eats. Um, but we can still support and consciously make better choices in terms of where we're sourcing our food from. And I think that's what is really most important. It's like, where's the source coming from and how are we taking care of ourselves and the whole cycle of feeding our families and preserving these lands and practices. So, right. Well, what happened when you pitched your uh, TV show? Yeah. So they really wanted, um, like this guy Fiari of the food network who is going to like, they, they really said, you know, we want like you and like six of your girlfriends being super sexy out there. And I was like, that's not what I'm about. That's not what, who I am. And there's, um, a lot of, I remember the agent I met with, she was like, you're like a, you're, um, you're a red girl in a blue state. And I was like, you don't know my voting preferences. You don't know anything about me. Like that's a general blanket statement about who I am and what mm-hmm. I stand for. When the reality is like, I eat a very plant-based diet. The majority of what I eat are fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds. And then I supplement with proteins mm-hmm. um, and very minimal grains. Um, but then I also allow room for pleasure because food should be pleasurable too. So mm-hmm. if you see me out there having a cocktail, no judgment. Like, oh, or a, like or a huckleberry milkshake or, or peach, peach pie or mm. <laughs> whatever it is. Like food is pleasurable too. Yeah. And we have to have all well, that. Well, I, you know, I'm, I've always said this, it's like, you know, most of the time make good choices and some of the times like enjoy, enjoy your life, mm-hmm. you know, like I guess if you have celiac disease, like don't eat gluten, you're going to pay for it. Your life's right. going to suck, but you can or also P- eat a lot of things. PKU, you're going to be eating a lot of sugar and Ex- not protein. Exactly. So, yeah. You know, you, but you can eat a lot of wonderful, pleasurable things without mm-hmm. gluten in them. Right. Um, and it it is about it is about enjoying food is very social food is joyful mm-hmm. food should be joyful um and i we were talking about this earlier you know it's like it's really hard and i know right now you're in a transition phase yes. of not having a garden yeah and um so, so hard <laughs> like when we first moved and i was buying eggs at the store and kale and i was like this is sacrilegious yes because once you've done that and you've grown it and you mm-hmm. have fresh eggs every day and all that boy it's just it's hard to 
go back to that mm-hmm. and realize like, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. Right. Um, and I think that's a really difficult transition that probably once you start doing it, you'll figure out a way to do it. Yeah. And that might mean mm-hmm. going to your local farmer's market, yes. getting a CSA box, yes. doing it in a way where you feel like you're contributing to the lifestyle and you're also getting you know, you're getting like farm fresh vegetables Yeah, that you're not going down to Safeway yes. and buying your vegetables that way, you know? And so, but, but that can be really hard because we're all going to have transitions like that in our life. I, I felt like that this year with the garden, like, yeah, I don't even know. We've Especially had like a move. couple tomatoes and it's like almost September, Yeah, you know? Um, so we're learning and it's like this time every year here in Washington, we're just like flooded with tomatoes yes. and we have peppers and yes. we're making salsa and we're making tomato sauce. And yeah, it's a big transition. Um, just those simple things. But so like, that's one of the benefits of this location where I live. So obviously I've got, you know, the rooftop garden, but then, um, Actually, one block over is the is where our farmers market is every Saturday. Yeah. And in Tacoma, we have four farmers markets. So, but that was still like again, like I don't want to. I have a hard time paying seven dollars for a dozen eggs when I could get more, way more than that on a daily basis. And I think more than that, like when you talk about things that are nutrient dense, I mean the brightness of an egg yolk that we raised ourselves versus what you get in a grocery store, there's no comparison. Right. You know, and that's the same thing with like the way that we grew our carrots. Like, you know, it's like beets take on the terroir like wine does of a region. Like the beets grown here are going to taste different than beets grown somewhere else. Right. Um, And to me, that was like this ever constant just surprise of, wonder and beauty and like I loved one of my favorite things was digging for fingerling potatoes I just I felt like I was digging for jewels like (laughs) it was just the most enriching experience and I truly I've never felt more wealthy Uh, you know you can make a lot of money and have a really impoverished spirit um but when when I had my garden I felt like I was the richest woman in the world like it was just that was actually when we moved out of our house last year. It's been a year. Mm-hmm. Actually, what is the date today? It might be a year this weekend, this week that we mm-hmm. moved. And our garden was in full bloom. The grapes weren't quite ready, but this grape Ryan had planted years ago was just the whole fence now. <laughs> and the, I mean, we were like, that garden was the hardest thing to leave. Yeah. You know, we tried to harvest as much as we could, but the guy walked into a great situation there. And mm-hmm. we lived in that house for 20 years, I, you know, but I can't say that I walked out of the house. You know, maybe I did because my children were born in that house. But the garden was the hardest part to leave. I remember your posts. It was yeah. like, oh, Love my that. gosh. You know, we spent... Yeah. If we weren't in the in in the kitchen or we were in the garden, mm-hmm. um, and the raspberries and the yes. things that had been on that property since we moved in, mm-hmm. that's and that's like a weird feeling, right? To be so attached to something that it can grow back, you can grow another one. Yeah, but we put so many years into that space and so much love and the soil and just the plants that it produced and. 
the thought of like we're just gonna leave this um that was really that was really difficult Mm -hmm. and it's actually to think back on it now I think about back then I think you're kind of in denial like okay we're moving like all right we can do this but I think back on it now and I realize like how special it was what we had yeah even though we're gonna have that again someday but Mm -hmm. you know that was over a decade of work yeah and here we are starting over and um we're much happier in our home now and where we're mm-hmm. at, but we do miss that garden. Yeah. And I do look back at pictures and I'm just like, oh, 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 you know? Um, and so, but it's an evolution and it's just, this is working really hard for something that produces and nourishes your family and feeds really you. Hard. <laughs> we talked about that, like yeah. weeding on special holidays. And- yeah. <laughs> I always complain about that. Can't we just go on a vacation? Not have to stay home and can vegetables? (laughs) Trying to be like, that's life. When we had our farm stand, I remember. So we had so many, you know, more vegetables than we knew what to do with. I mean, and I was writing recipes for organic rolls. So they would send me salad greens every week. And uh, so my my refrigerator would have these clamshells of salad greens and then we've got all the produce from the garden and I was just like I don't know what to do with all this stuff <laughs> and and we're feeding the pigs with whatever's left over right. you know and um so we started um we started our farm stand on Sundays and started selling the produce and I made my kids help me I was like okay Maddie if you help me bake these muffins and can salsa and do these jams and all these other things I'll I'll subtract it turned into a business I'll subtract my the cost of my supplies to do this and you and Ryder if you sit out there and help sell with me you guys can keep the proceeds and they bought a trip to Disneyland and their bicycles with that money it was pretty impressive so I've always tried to help them be like little entrepreneurs but people didn't know how they didn't know what a kohlrabi was and they didn't they wanted to buy the produce but they didn't know how to prepare it and Mm so I think that was a huge um motivation on why I wanted to do um, field to table was to really introduce people to, first of all, get people back into the kitchen, because I think that's going to solve a whole bunch of our obesity epidemic and metabolic syndrome, a lot of those other things. Um, but bringing people back to the kitchen, learning how to cook and learning how to cook seasonally and locally. So, um, anyhow, it's just really incredible. Well, you have an interesting background because of what you do for work. Tell tell mm-hmm. folks what you do for work So and what yeah. your background is. So my background is nutrition and I worked um, at the Center for Healthy Living and Multicare, which is one of our really Washington's largest health um, system. And through that process, I had kind of some really great experiences. Like I got to volunteer at the food bank and they asked me to create a cookbook based off of what they were um, supplemented with each week for people who are coming in and using those benefits. Um, So that was really the catalyst and then starting to teach nutrition to, um, you know, middle school kids under the SNAP program in WIC Mm -hmm. and partnering with the farmer's markets Mm -hmm. and um, doing more of like community education classes around nutrition and eating um, really more vegetables. And then I started writing the recipes for the vitals blog. Um, And so anyhow, that's been my passion. I was in 
very athletic. So I have a huge passion for sport nutrition, but through a lot of surgeries, all I do now is yoga and walk. And we, mm. we talked about that. Um, but because my nutrition's so perfected and dialed in and I, I don't say that like, um, you know, arrogantly, I say that, like, I've worked really hard, um, to educate myself and to learn what feels right for my body. Um, but that's where I started. So now I'm in, um, a, I'm a diabetes specialist with mm. Novo Nordisk, which is a pharmaceutical company. And we do, we specialize in insulin and, um, a molecule called GLP-1, which is a glucagon, like, peptide receptor agonist. <laughs> Yikes. That's a big, long word. It is. In layman's terms, what does that do for you? It has three main benefits. And so it, well, it helps to reduce insulin and, um, increase or suppress glucagon, increase insulin, suppress glucagon when sugar's on board. So carbohydrate, um, but it also helps prevent against non-fatal stroke, MI and CV death, as well as has a great secondary benefit of weight reduction. Mm. Okay. So it was introduced, it's been around on the market for about 10 years, but we just launched a, a once weekly GLP one and we are soon to launch an oral version of it. Um, it's called semaglutide or azempic and it's a pretty incredible molecule. It's a natural incretin hormone that your body already creates. What we're just finding is that as we grow older, similar as the pancreas wants to burn out and that's when people, you know, develop these, this prediabetes and metabolic syndrome and have to start insulin therapy, we now have an option before insulin therapy with a GLP-1. Mm. Um, and so it really helps to control blood sugar. Wow. Yeah. Um, and how is that compared to like metformin? Mm -hmm. So metformin's the, for the ADA and the American um, Endocrinology Association is still standards of care first line. Mm -hmm. um, so GLP-1 is the recommendation after metformin. Um, so let's say a patient starts metformin therapy and three months later, their blood sugars still are not in range, then they can start a GLP-1 therapy. And okay. really, um, I can't overemphasize this, but like the diabetologists and endocrinologists throughout, um, are saying that this stuff should be in the water. It's that effective. Um, we just had a um, are once daily approved for pediatrics. So patients 10 to 17 years old with type two diabetes, um, because once, once a patient starts insulin, that's a growth hormone. So they're gaining weight when they can start a GLP one therapy, they're going to get their blood sugars in range. They are going to lose significant weight and they are going to prevent against heart attack and stroke. That's huge. No other medication. Even the cardiologists are saying this is three times more effective than Plavix. Um, so when you consider your risk factors, especially for women who are more at risk of dying from heart complications than mm -hmm. breast cancer, but we don't, there's no real test for heart disease, heart attack, you know? Right. You can, yeah, there's all the markers that you can test, but, but you're not doing a physical exam like you exactly. would for a breast cancer. Exactly. Yeah, it's harder to detect when or if it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, and, well, you said something about 10 to 17-year-old kids. Yeah, pediatrics. Type 2 diabetes, diabetes is becoming more prevalent in yeah. young children. So we used to not call it, we used to call type 2 adult onset diabetes. Right. Um, in 1980s, we didn't have 
pediatrics with type 2. And now we're seeing children as young as two years old with type 2 diabetes. Completely preventable. Um, and so I think what's so special about what you guys are doing is continuously like getting that message out there that we need to take care of what mm-hmm. this gift that we have, which is our body. Um, yeah. And that's your proper diet and nutrition and exercise. And, and obviously educate parents because mm-hmm. a two-year-old who has type 2 – they're usually getting they're, apple juice in a bottle. They're two years old. Mm-hmm. Like, they're not making those choices, right? No, they're not making those choices. Yeah. And that's, um, <laughs> I have to say, one of the most traumatic things I ever saw was my grandma likes, when we go to visit my grandparents in Texas, and they like to go to the buffet. Yeah. Have you ever been to a buffet in Texas? I've No, I've only been to a Sizzler's. <laughs> if you live in Texas, which I'm sure we have lots of Texans It'd be like barbecue. <laughs> oh, no, it's not like, it's not like the great barbecue it's like what is it like this it's like um I don't even know what the buffets but my grandparents like to go there because it's affordable and you can get a lot of food and like one of the most traumatic things I've ever seen is we were in this first of all Ryan is just totally like he like doesn't touch stuff in there he's like (laughs) germophobia he just moves his food around on his plate you know um and I saw like a baby, like a baby in a high chair, probably not even two. Yeah. Eating fried chicken. Like her, her tray, her parents were obese Mm -hmm. and they were just eating. Like there was another kid, obese. Yeah. The two-year-old, I don't even think she's two, eating, she had a drumstick in her hand, Mm -hmm. a fried chicken and like bread and gravy and yeah. on her plate and I was like this child looked barely old enough to be off the boob right <laughs> right and I'm like what is that child eating yeah you don't even have teeth to eat like that like <clears throat> and I just saw the parents and I'm I'm not a big judgment person if you know me right. like Ryan always tells me I probably need to be a little more judgmental I, I just but it breaks my heart because mm-hmm. I see like the future of that child. Right. Because you can just look at her parents. Right. And see what her future is going to be. And when the statistics now show mm-hmm. that parents are outliving their children. Yes. Okay. Because of these choices that are being made for them. Very, oh, very the stories young. I hear from my care managers about the patients that they're seeing. I mean, 30 some years old, early 40s, you know, and I'm just going... And we're talking about, you know, morbidly obese. A1Cs are in the 14% range. Wow. That's scary. Yeah. And I don't know. That that image stayed with me. And um, we have we haven't talked much about leptin, but I probably could do a whole leptin, podcast ghrelin. on leptin you and should. ghrelin. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, we're seeing leptin resistance now, like insulin resistance. Yeah. And I see it mostly in my overweight patients, but I see it in nor- abnormal weight mm-hmm. patients. Um, the whole leptin is the hormone that tells you to stop eating, like mm-hmm. you're full. Okay. Right. You've had enough. And um, when I see these cases and these situations too, I think of like that child is being taught to override that signal. 
That's right. And to keep eating Mm -hmm. and to keep eating. And then what happens is once that signal is overridden, Mm -hmm. you don't feel hungry. Right. I mean, you don't feel full. Full. You don't feel full. You don't feel full. And that's so you keep eating. And then these people keep saying, "Well, I know I should quit eating, but I'm not full." Well, and when they Um, start to experience that, like glucose toxicity or even the insulin resistance, this is where we need to have it change our views around obesity and diabetes. But when that starts kicking in, I mean, you can literally eat a meal and 30 minutes later feel ravishingly starving and not know why. And so when you start seeing these children, pediatrics with obesity and whatnot. I mean, they're literally, their body is fighting against them and they feel like it's a self-control issue. Um, when the reality is, is they're just, their hormones aren't working the way that they're supposed to anymore. Yeah. And so those have to be adjusted. Yeah. I, I just, um, yeah, I have, sometimes I see those things and I just, just feel like, oh man. So when they start those, G, like a GLP-1, that's when things like the molecule is so small, it crosses that blood-brain barrier and can silence that um, overwhelming screaming voice for food, food, mm. food. Um, and they can really take control um, of their choices again. So you, but you have to go to a doctor to get it, right? Yeah. Right now it's currently just prescription. Prescription. And right. technically, but yeah. So it's probably a bunch of biohackers out there taking it. Yeah. They probably could, they could you you probably would know you have con, you're sell, selling it but yeah. I know that right now people are using metformin um, mm-hmm. quite frequently for mm-hmm. biohacking and inflammation and, and autophagy okay. and insulin yeah. control and stuff like that mm-hmm. well obviously it's first line for insulin control mm-hmm. but there's lots of other things now they're saying you know yeah. anti-inflammatory qualities kind of like what you're well, saying well because right with sugar it's an inflammatory right. process exactly right yeah. every time we eat it's an inflammatory process when you really think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are what we eat down to the macular of our eye, mm-hmm. right? Our body stores, like what your food eats, you eat. Um, and so when we start looking at food that way, like you'll never go through Chick-fil-A again, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just that important that we really consider the choices that we're making. Yeah. Yeah. Food, food is in, this will just always be my stance. You know, food is like, it is the foundation. Mm -hmm. You, you can't, you can't not do diet Mm -hmm. and expect that everything will get better Mm -hmm. with just a supplement or a pill or even, you know, the, Mm -hmm. the GLP one, Mm -hmm. you know, if you, if you're given GLP one, um, and you're in that boat, you can't just keep eating the way you're eating, right? No. Yeah. You can't eat to Thanksgiving fullness. But right. even more than that, like you can be skinny and not be healthy, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't I think weight is a weight is the way in which sometimes we see mm-hmm. that the body is dysregulated. Yes. But there's a lot of skinny fat people walking around mm-hmm. out there that have tons of inflammation. Yeah. Um, silent inflammation that they don't know about because they can't physically see right. this excess number of pounds right. that are on them. Um, but maybe they have memory loss. Yes. Maybe they have erectile dysfunction. And so that's maybe they have one of the biggest things when men yes. start the GLP ones. Oh, they can start, they start having erections again. Oh, because when a male has type two diabetes, one of the first things to go is their erections. Hmm. 
the sugar affects the whole body. Like right. diabetes is a whole body disease. Right. So if you can get that blood sugar under control, you start like you you know you talk about nephrology, you talk about cardiology, you talk about urology, like neurology, like it is diabetology, it is a whole body disease. What you eat matters. Yeah. And really eliminating and I don't mean to be on like a, you know, soapbox here, but really like you don't have to get rid of sugar forever. Just really making, choosing better, making better choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Ryan is like, he, you know, Ryan does, he, he does some sugar. We do recipes, you know, with honey in it or maple syrup in it or whatever. I do too. Yeah. But he's usually eating those things in the back country where he's burning like 3,500 right. calories a day. Well, and what is your brain, blood, your brain yeah. run on? Glucose. Yeah. But if we're sitting at home and, you know, we're not eating those sweet treats all day and right. Ryan will be the first to say he cut out all the bad sugars, he cut out all the crappy food and that's because he cut out all the excess carbohydrate that isn't giving him fuel and fiber and all that stuff. Yeah. And he, his joint pain went away. So he gave that talk this year at yeah. Big Game University because he was talking about how his joints were so achy yeah. and then he cut that stuff out and how much better he could perform. The men around me were like, that's what I need to do because that's what they could feel was the joint pain. Yeah. I'm stiff and achy or lethargic or yeah. I can't have an erection or whatever that yeah. is. Like, Did Ryan say he couldn't get an erection? I'm just no. kidding. <laughs> he didn't. Sorry, Ryan. You didn't say that. <laughs> I'm not going there. Oh, that we'll leave your awesome. bed. I was like, wow, he's really opening up. <laughs> but you know, I mean, like these are things that we talk well, we men talk about. Like you want Yeah. Well, I, I always tell guys like, hey, you know, if that's, the not, beers if that's out. not not working you know there's some cardiovascular issues going on i mean it could be definitely emotional and psychological but at a certain age like that's the canary in the coal mine the six pack of rain here is not helping you anymore we've talked about that on the hormone podcast i've done you know like dr whitney's like listen the canary in the coal mine is when that thing starts stops working and (laughs) it's like there's some serious problems there yeah i mean it'll happen once in a while as you get older it's not you know not the end of the world i mean sometimes it's just not going to happen but for men, you know, that they have this thing on their body that's a barometer. Yeah, that's so their we barometer. don't have that. Yeah. So we're kind of like and I do think too, sometimes for women, we 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 do forget that mm-hmm. breast cancer is not the number one cause no, of death in women. It's heart disease. disease. And it, it like quadru triples or quadruple in amounts yeah. over cancer. I think but it's we, five times. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And we don't ever talk about that. No. Do you ever hear of like people talking about cardiovascular disease in women no. and killing women? No, you hear about it in men because it is also the leading cause yeah. of death in men. But men also have more classic symptoms. Yes. Chest pain, elephant on the chest, left-sided heart pain. Yes. Like left-sided, you know, arm pain, the, the whatever. Women don't have that. Right. Women can have nausea, mm-hmm. a gastric upset, yeah. headache. Mm-hmm pressure in their abdomen and, and they might just think they're like you know they ate something bad or you know and and, and they're less likely to be prescribed a statin right so it's really how do you feel about statins how do i feel about statins how, well, do, you how do i feel it doesn't matter because it's considered first line care yeah of course but uh, as far as like long-term use of statins do I think long-term use of anything is really no? And I, th- I bring, I only bring that up because you deal with diabetics, and so you're seeing inflammation, you're seeing cardiovascular inflammation. Yeah. Uh, um, and I do a lot of hormones. Yes. 
So I see the effects of people's hormones being dysregulated and causing more inflammation yes. and LDLs going up yeah. when your hormones are off. Mm-hmm. And when you regulate that, mm-hmm. HDLs go up, LDLs yes. go down. Um, but, you know, a lot of, like statins are, like you said, the first line of defense, but they've also been shown long-term to cause right. Alzheimer's disease. Yes. Right. Because your brain needs fat. Right. And so I, I always kind of question, like, are we really um, going to the source of the problem? And no, we're not. Because just like with the GLUT1, or mm-hmm. not the GLUT1, the GLP1, the GLP1 yeah. it's like a miracle thing. Mm-hmm. The drug is. But really, we need to be addressing the person's lifestyle. Right. Because GLP-1 is is a natural occurrence. Like your body already produces that. Right. It just stops producing as much. And the pancreas basically needs to be woken up Mm -hmm. to start producing again so that it can regulate insulin and glucagon in your body. It's already that, like I think about the Nest thermometer that you can control with an app, you know, in your home. Like it's already smart. It's genius technology that our bodies are. It's pretty incredible. Mm Um, it's through our, our lifestyle choices that that becomes dysregulated mm-hmm. and unless you're a type one and it's an autoimmune issue and your body's, you know, you test positive for the antibodies and that type of thing. That's different. You're on insulin the rest of your life to live. And my right. kudos to anyone who's type one out there listening. Um, but for type two, it, it truly is like making radical lifestyle choices to, to repair that and, yeah, the GLP-1s, um, you know, we're seeing some pretty incredible things even with Alzheimer's. But again, it goes back to blood sugar control. So like you and I, we could have the same A1C, right? Eight, let's say we're both 8.5, which is high, but let's say we're both having 8.5 A1C. But you could be having huge highs and huge lows. Mm-hmm. And mine could be just kind of bouncing, toggling, mm-hmm. but it just looks like the same A1C. That's why we're really starting to look at time and range. It's like blood sugar range as the new indicator of true health. Um, And so when you like add a GLP-1 on, we're starting to see these like nice flat lines of blood sugar being in range. I think with CGM, continuous glucose monitoring, like Dexcom and Freestyle Libre, I think we're going to start seeing more athletes wear these too, because you can start really looking at like how well in range are my blood sugars? Well, I know like back to biohackers, I've got friends like Mike Mutzel. He's been on our podcast. I know Ben Greenfield, like Mm -hmm. all these people they're, they're wearing, they're doing blood sugar monitoring all the time. It's incredible because they're athletes Mm -hmm. and they're doing keto and they're doing all these things and they're, they're monitoring their blood sugars with their ketones. They're, they're constantly trying to adjust for these things. And I tell patients too, like, you can go buy a cheap glucometer now. Yeah. I mean, they used to be like expensive and you needed your insurance, but you can go online and buy a cheap glucometer Mm -hmm. and you can test your blood sugars. Yes. So I'm a great example of dysregulated blood sugar because, um, and Ryan's also had history. He has history of diabetes type two in his family and he's a great, he's of normal body weight, but he tends to, if he were, if Ryan were to do nothing, Mm he is a he's a sugar um what would i call him he has a preference for sugar he has a preference for sugar but he his body would like he would have insulin problems yeah like he he would he's stored around the middle 
visceral. Right. Um, and he has to be careful even with excess exercise. So which we, what yes. we've seen in the past is like, he looks like he's in great shape, but he's been over exercising, yes. overworking, uh, these hard, long trips mm-hmm. where he's like days and days. And we, we take his blood sugars and they're Does like- Does he become like catabolic? Or? High. Yeah. I'm thinking of like the misogy effect. When your blood sugars get low, then your body wants to pump out more to regulate it. Right. And that's why there's that spike. Yeah. And he'll, and I will eat a meal and my blood sugar will be 62. Oh, wow. Yeah. Low. So when I was pregnant, wow. I was pregnant. You know, they make you take the glucose test. Like, yeah. The- they, 200 drink grams this, of sugar. It's horrible. Like, orange goop. And then they take your blood. <laughs> Uh, an hour later, an hour and a half later. Mm-hmm. And I had horrible hyperemesis gravidarum. So if you don't know what that is, that's just vomiting until you think you're going to die. And uh, yeah, with, it's horrible. With my first pregnancy, wow. it was horrible. And my second pregnancy, it was horrible, but not so long. And uh, when I did that first glucose tolerance test, they were like, what? My blood sugar was like 58. An hour after I drank wow. that straight really? sugar. What yeah. do you usually run? Like super low. Wow. Yeah, I really run low. I even have a hard time getting over a hundred. Like I'll I'll be over a hundred after a meal, but I don't stay over a hundred very wow. long. And uh yeah, well, I went to lunch with Ryan one day at work. I was just working. We went to lunch and I had a blood draw after lunch. And it wasn't meant to be a fasting blood draw. Mm-hmm. And I got it back and my blood sugar was like sixty two. Wow. And I had just eaten a huge meal. Wow. And I was like, what? But I have the tendency, vertigo, fatigue. Interesting. Like these things come on. A typo. And so, yeah. So for me, I'm like wondering, like, how is this, you know, like, this is not good for me to be having my blood sugars so low mm-hmm. right after I eat a meal. It's like rapid uptake and rapid, mm-hmm. you know, excretion here. What's going on? So right. everybody's really different. And I think it's important if you, I don't think we also correlate how we feel to blood sugars because most people don't know, right? right? Like, are you high? Are you low? Yes. What does are that look like? You can get those glucometers and you can check it. So I have a lot yeah. of patients do that. You know, if, if we if we suspect that it's a blood sugar thing, because listen, you have a patient come in and do a fasting blood draw. You know that blood draw is dependent on stress. Yes. How they slept. Right. Um, you know, how much fluid they drank. Mm-hmm. Like, did they have a big carbo-loaded meal right. at 7 o'clock? Right. It's like, so then you, you get, get a, a blood draw and you're like, oh, you're fine. Right. You know, your your blood sugar's great. Right. But then you get their HC, their A1C back and mm-hmm. it's like 5.8 mm-hmm. or 6. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, and you're yeah. like, well, wait a second here. Something is yeah. slowly shifting. And cholesterols are the same way. Yes. Cholesterols can be based on stress. Yeah. I can draw two blood two blood draws day after the other. The cholesterols can be 20 point different range because mm-hmm. the person was stressed out at work or the person, you know, um, ate a big carb loaded meal, mm-hmm. their triglycerides. I mean, I've had people come in with their triglycerides. What? Mm-hmm. But I've had people after lunch get their lipids done and we can see your triglycerides are high. You yes. Know? Yeah. That's not, we got to, we got to do this at a different time, but stress and all the factors of life affect your blood sugars. They affect your cholesterol. Yeah. And this whole idea that it's just like, 
this is how we diagnose people. It's like, you really need to monitor yourself to see what you're doing. Are you going high? Mm -hmm. Are you going low? Like me, like I, I wouldn't think that that's why I felt so lousy. Right. And there's some people who run high, like 200s. And when you try and drop their blood sugars, like they feel like even in the mid 100s, like they feel hypoglycemic. Well, it's the same as if you try to drop somebody's blood pressure. They've been walking around with high blood pressure and then you're like, oh, here's a medication. You put them on the blood pressure med and they're like, oh my God, what's wrong with me? And I'm just like, "Uh, you're going to have to like adjust to this because you've been walking Mm -hmm. around with a high blood pressure and you've gotten used to it. Right. Same thing with the blood sugars. Yeah. It's, it's so unique. You know, each person is so unique, Mm -hmm. but I do know that there's some drugs like what you're talking about mm-hmm. that are coming out that are it's pretty exciting really really um changing it and so i know it has nothing to do with hunting but <laughs> yeah we just talk about this for this is the kind of stuff i like to geek out about um like other women on social media they all want to talk about like nobody should be fishing in their bikinis and how do you guys all feel about like women and hunting and i'm thinking what are you talking about? Like women have been in hunting forever. You know, I, I try and stay away from all of that. Yeah. Like hype and just focus on like, this is a long-term thing. I'm going to be doing it forever. I'm teaching my kids. And, you know, I think it's really exciting to see like everybody has a story or a reason why they're doing this, you know, Mm -hmm. for Ryan, maybe it's his freedom that he finds out, you know, Mm -hmm. um, doing backcountry or, you know, for me, it's a family thing. And for, you know, I'm thinking of like my girlfriend, Riza Lester, if you're listening, you know, who got married and to this hunter and she's just picked it up and run on her own. So it doesn't matter whether you've been in the game for a long time or you're new to it. Like it's for everyone and it should be presented that way. Um, so. Well, I don't hunt, but I always say, listen, I mean, my life has been benefited by hunting because I eat the best meat in the world. Yeah. I know where my food comes from. All those animals have a story. Yes. And I don't get that story when I go to the grocery store. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't. And I haven't killed that animal, but I still feel that just from years of being able to have that, you know, have that meat mm-hmm. and have the privilege of that and be able to eat that. Um, I think that, I think that that's important. And, I mean, we just need more listen pe- women to listen to this podcast. Come on, women. <laughs> Come on, gals. We need to talk about more sex. Oh, well. <laughs> then we'll have more of everybody. Oh, no, I told you, I'm going to I'm starting a new podcast. It's going to be yeah. all about hormones and sex That's and I'm, it's going to be like huge. I'm going to be like Joe Rogan. Like people are just going to not be able to stop listening. Yeah. You don't even have sex to go makes to the world go round, as my <laughs> mother says. That's how it is. We were stuck on a freeway in traffic here in Seattle. I think we were going to a funeral of my hundred and three-year-old stepfather's grandmother, who and remembers just over living sex? in teepees. She was a crow woman. She remembers living in teepees. That's how old she was. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, we're stuck in this traffic jam. We're going to be late to this funeral. And I said, oh, my gosh, where did all these people come from? My mom's like, sex. <laughs> That's where they all came sex. from. And I was like, oh, you're right. well, that's a very direct answer. And then you think about it and you're like, yeah, you're right. 
that's where they all came from we see that in hunting we talked about this like (laughs) even sitting in the tree stand it's like you you know I always say the women know everything because you'll watch these does come out like I'm just thinking about like white tail does and they come out like they're so skittish they just know everything that's going on and they'll come to the perimeter and they'll start stomping their their hooves like you guys have all seen this before you know it and it's like they know what's up they always know when something's up and then the bucks just come out all dumb like do 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 and that's why they get shot so all they're thinking about is i just want to have sex i just want to procreate here well i've never had so many men talk to me about their testosterone as i have in the last couple years so it's a privilege guys but um you know (laughs) it's a good thing well now women are talking to me about their testosterone so you know, I'm talking like about getting rid of testosterone. <laughs> I know. I need more estrogen. <laughs> well, <laughs> anyhow. So, I guess I like. What, what is your what, what? What would you like to see in the future? What would you like to spread the message? What What's the message you would like to spread? Because this community is changing and it's mm-hmm. evolving, and it's there's a lot of people coming in from that maybe in the past would have been really intimidated or maybe not even welcomed into this community. You know, weird people like me. (laughs) You know, that's such a great question because like I'm thinking even I have a good friend who lives in um, a girlfriend used to be our cheerleading coach and she lives in California now, Hollywood. Like I literally went bow hunting and like, you know, the Hollywood Hills. It was incredible. I didn't know you could do that. And there's actually this huge elk preserve too that's, I think by admission only, it's pretty expensive to hunt, but, um, you know, hunting's everywhere. And, um, I remember we, we, it was super fogged. Like the fog was just socked in. Like there's no way we were going, it was swirling wind and everything. So we went, we ended up coming back down and, you know, there's this family of, um, like these just like, you know, native Hispanic family right there. And they were waiting for the fog to go away and they're just out there cooking breakfast and they're like can we get you coffee can we cook you breakfast like it was like this family thing and it was amazing like just the hospitality and this community of hunters like we all have a shared interest and shared passion it doesn't matter what your gender is your sexuality your history and and I'm thinking of this girlfriend of mine her husband got into hunting because her his brother um was a hunter and he passed away in this tragic accident and he wanted to honor him by picking up hunting. So mm-hmm. he did that. And we were, it's so funny because here he is in, you know, in California and he's got his binos right there set up in his kitchen looking out over the hills. And, um, but he was telling me stories of friends that he have has in Montana who are, you know, two male homosexual, you know, guys, uh, guides hunting, you know, and, I think I'm thinking back on the, you know, my family legacy and they're all white males, majority of them who are hunters Mm -hmm. and it's changing. We see, you know, I think there's a couple huge Instagram accounts of, um, you know, men and women, um, every gender, every race, every sexuality, like just going out there and doing this thing. And we all have a story and again, a why and a passion you know, purpose for out, being out there doing it. I think it's just more than anything, it's being authentic and true to yourself and not judging and just, you know, embracing. And we all have something to share and all have something to learn from each other. And I've been so, you know, I'm not on the male bashing bandwagon. Um, 
In fact, my biggest um, blessing has been in the guys who have taken me like under their wing and, you know, not tried to put their hands down my pants, but shown Mm -hmm. me how to be serious. There are the guys out there like one more cast, Julie, one more cast, another shot, do better. Like really, um, that's why I've always liked, even in my year, years training, like running with the boys, if you will, because mm-hmm. they've always pushed me to work harder and be better. Um, and I think as females, we have something to learn from that. But on the other side, I think for males, like women are naturally a little bit more intuitive um, and um, more focused, not so much on like the big kill, but the whole life cycle and um, conservation and whatnot. So I think across the board, we all have something we can learn. We're all, I think it goes back to a beginner's mindset. If you walk into everything in life, no matter what it is with a beginner's mindset and go, I'm not the expert here. I always have something new to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, I think when you truly get the most out of those experience and truly become, um, somebody who's super wise and. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I've, I've met phenomenal people, both men and women in the mm-hmm. industry. Such as yourself, yeah, caring people, um, people who care for wildlife, people who are conservationists, and people who don't want this lifestyle to go away. Right. You know, um, it's more than about protecting guns. Yes, it's about protecting a lot more than that. So yeah, and and there's there's there are threats out there. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's the gun issue, there is, um, I mean, a very small percentage of people hunt, mm-hmm. you know, there is the personification of animals as human and there, you know, mm-hmm. people thinking that we just should eradicate all of this and just let the animals be free and mm-hmm. not understanding what that really means, right. you know, um, for us. As they don't humans. understand habitat maintenance, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, things like sea you know, CWD, mm-hmm. like how is that going to affect populations coming up? And I'm excited. I'm going to get some experts on because I feel like that's a, yeah, yeah. I get a lot of questions about that. I think it's, people think I'm a doctor that I know right. all, all about this, but I think there's a lot of good information, a lot of misinformation and, but there are things out there that could threaten this lifestyle and trophy hunting, you know, this anti-trophy hunting and I'm not a big trophy hunter, but the reality is, is that the majority of those mature bucks or mature, you know, whatever, they're not the ones producing the, the offspring. It's these young bucks that are producing the majority of the new offspring. Um, and the reality is most of those, you know, six and seven year olds are, going to not make it through the winter. Um, and so a, a habitat can only support so many animals. Mm-hmm. And when resources run low, you know, they, they'll die of starvation or other types of things. Mm-hmm. So it's really educating everybody. And I think um, the more that we can do that in a way that's not like being so firm on one side of the line, um, but but educating and living our lifestyle and our values out. I think it impacts people. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of work to do and you got to hand it to the people that are out there doing it. But I think it's also about being good ambassadors for the lifestyle and the healthier we are as a community, 
the more energy and the more we break that glass ceiling and that stereotype yes. of just the fat drunk hunter who doesn't care. See, that's it. That's the perception. Elmer Fudd. <laughs> like throw the rack, throw the deer either like, well here, and here's one more thing like I feel like needs to be said. You know, there's this misconception around like, oh, wild game, it tastes gamey. Well, wild game should never taste gamey. If it tastes gamey, it's because the, the temperature went out of range and you mm-hmm. should get rid of it. It's rancid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that we have a responsibility as hunters to know how to um, to um, properly field dress and you know if if you're not going to take care of that meat, you're going to know who your butcher is, who's going to come take care of it for you, and make sure that that temperature stays in range. And like it's the same thing when when hiking a mountain. Like you don't get to the top and have the the hike be over. Like you got to get down the mountain too. Well, that's, you don't just shoot the buck or shoot the turkey or shoot whatever the duck. Like you've got a follow-up process that's mm-hmm. just as rigorous and requires just as much effort. And we have a responsibility to be ethical and to honor that animal in every way possible. So. Yeah. Like Ryan always says, the hard work begins after the kill. That's right. Yeah. That's a good All one. All the hard work. Yeah, super important, super important to take care of the meat properly. My dad tells a story. I don't know if I've said this on the podcast, but my dad doesn't hunt. and He grew up in Texas. Yeah. And he used to go deer hunting with my grandpa. Yeah. He's like, I couldn't do it because the meat was gross. Yeah. And this is Texas. You know, like it's hot. Like, yeah. He just said they never took care of the meat very well and it was gross and then nobody wanted to eat it. And then it was like, here's this animal. I just lost his life. And nobody even wants to eat it. And him and Ryan had a great conversation and Ryan was like, well, that's because they didn't properly deal with the meat. Right. And so they probably kept the cape on and then the temperature gets too high. Yeah, Yeah. And then you start, that's when you start to attract bugs (laughs) yeah so that's a you know all these little things but if you care about the food then you got to care about that and not everyone has to be a hunter you don't have to go be a hunter like but supporting the people you know who around you who do just marry a hunter like me who gets you a lot of meat (laughs) (laughs) yes okay so i'm just gonna ask you a few questions and then we're gonna be done um first of all tell people how they can find you like yeah your Instagram. I don't know. Yeah. So How I'm you- on Facebook as Julie Sear, C-Y-R. And then on on Instagram, it's Outdoor Jewels. Um, and then I'm hoping to start a YouTube channel with all healthy yeah. recipe cooking, seasonal local recipes. So I'll let you guys know when that comes about. Um, I do have Julie's Farm Table. It's not active right now, but it was my Whole Foods blog that I used to write a lot of mm-hmm. my recipes on and um, just going through a refresh and that should be going live too. So they can, you guys can only find me there. And, um, so and you've been things. a lifelong hunter. Yes. 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 Since you can remember. Grew up in this. Wow. Yeah. It's great. Okay. Fisher. So let's see. Let Are me you? ask you a few questions. Okay. Once in a while, I ask guests this just because I want fun, fun ones. <laughs> yeah. So, what's your greatest weakness? Oh my gosh. Um, like food, anything, or well, yeah. What's your greatest weakness? You have to figure that out. 
I have a great answer. You can ask if I don't have a great <laughs> Okay, well, what's your PG? I have, I, have a, I, have a, I have a person who is my greatest weakness. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that's that's that qualifies. Yeah. Who's that? Oh, <laughs> You're not going to say? I can't say. But I do. I have, there's somebody who's my greatest weakness. Okay. Well, geez. That's I'll not really never fun. publicly acknowledge anything. So. Okay. Um, what's your greatest strength? Um, I'm like twirling my hair like I'm 12 um, <laughs> and blushing. Stupid. Um, my greatest strength. Well, I can't wait to turn this off because I'm going to find uh, I'm My greatest strength is obviously my children are my everything. Like they're why they're my yeah. just life force. Um, but I will say my sheer tenacity and grit and resiliency, like there is no mountain too high for me to, to overcome. And I had a painful divorce process and, um, you know, I, and I grew up without much, but anything that I put my mind to, I know that I can achieve. Mm -hmm. And we talked about vision boards and I do a vision board every year and the things I put on there, I probably need to challenge myself even more, but they're pretty ridiculous. And, Every time I, I, I make those happen, you know, just by focus and um, not willing to like give up on my dreams. And I think I, I always joke, but it's like, just tell me I can't do something and watch me do it. And every no I hear is really not now. Um, it just mm. means not now. Right. So to be persistent in my dreams and to also be flexible. Like sometimes, you know, you think about rivers and every year they change and they carve out a new path and to be okay with that. And, you know, I used to be so rigid, like life has to look a certain way because I grew up in this tiny small town and, um, you know, it was like Pleasantville, like everybody, you know, was stayed married forever. And it was like, you got sugar from your neighbor and whatnot, mm -hmm. but the real world's not that way at all. And so to be flexible and to adapt and to go to, to it's in my yoga practice, actually, there's this great saying like fire behind me, water in front of me. Mm -hmm. And we can't go back. Like everything behind us is, you know, really consumed by that fire. Like it's gone, but the things in front of us we can flow with and to really continue to move forward in that power. And to me, that's been the biggest game changer because I think through trauma and through stress, whatever that might look like for you, I, I had a chronic illness in college, even was hospitalized and missed a semester of school. And like, you, you don't get those years back. You don't get that time back, but you can overcome and you can go, but what I have in front of me right now and ahead of me is amazing. And it's all about perspective. I, I am deciding that I'm going to become this thing, or I am deciding that this is, will be my future. Mm -hmm. We all have a choice at the end of the day. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what circumstances you grew up in. We all have a choice. And it really comes down to like having a vision feeling that feeling of what it feels like to live out that vision and to mm -hmm. make that your, your taking action to, to achieve that. So, and surrounding yourself with the right people, mm -hmm. right? Your energy is everything. Your community is everything. If you're surrounded by people who aren't supporting your vision, um, and you're, you know, I think for a lot of guys, oftentimes are stuck in these, like, but this is my bro. We've been bros forever. Like, 
well, that bro is not going where you're going. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes you have to make hard choices. For sure. So grit and resiliency. <laughs> and and you got a few good ones. And optimism, positivity. I am just yeah. I'm a happy I truly am like a, just a happy person. Yeah. I just I always kind of see the sunny side and um yeah. That's good. That those are good qualities because when you have hard times, you know, you have to be able to pick oh yourself God. up. <laughs> we do. And we have a lot of depression and anxiety in this world right now. Mm -hmm. um, and and if you can just remember and look on the bright side that things pass, you know, they do. And that's where like the yoga and meditation yeah. come into play for me, like connecting with my breath and realizing like, I remember the first time I went to yoga after my divorce, they were like, and the teacher was like, you know, some of you might be lying there on the ground saying like, I don't feel supported by the universe. And I would remember thinking, I don't feel supported. Like I've, I'm going through this horrible divorce. My whole world's been shaken upside down. Like I'm afraid of losing everything. Like, so you want to cling and grasp onto everything. And then I just had to let go, like feel that feeling to its fullest and let go and go, wait a minute. No, I'm supported just like everybody else. Mm -hmm. So we all have support, but we shouldn't be living this life alone. That's for sure. So Yeah. Well, that's great. So that just kind of naturally goes into what is, what are you most grateful for? Mm -hmm. I think every life lesson, I think my failures, I'm most grateful for my failures in life because, you know, people remember your successes, but when you've ever, whenever you've achieved something great, it's been the failures that got you there. Um, and every time I've fallen, it's like, and people, I remember when I was younger, they'd be like, Julie, you don't have any failures. I'm like, if only you could see the long list of failures of things I tried out for that I didn't make of, you know, all these things that I would want to be like covered in shame or not want anybody to see. It was like, wait a minute, that's my greatest strength because it's through failures that you keep persisting and keep trying and keep really refining what your true passion is. Um, and then my children, they're just, mm -hmm. honestly, I like knock on wood. I truly feel like I won the lottery with those two. Like we just have this really intimate, incredible relationship and, um, just, there's so much love there. So. Yeah. Children are miracles for sure. So much. So. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> but yeah. So that's, well, that's awesome. Well, thank you for being on yeah. the podcast. I know we kind of randomly talked about a bunch of stuff. Talked and about life. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we'll talk again when you start your YouTube channel. Yes. And see, now I have to do it. That's they right. say like do something that scares well, you. Well, you know, it's like put it out there in the universe, that universe that is supporting you or not, and um see what happens, you know. Yeah. But conviction and uh follow through are everything. I just want to help people know how to cook kohlrabi. <laughs> know how to cook kohlrabi. Well first they gotta grow Bro kohlrabi. kohlrabi. <laughs> yeah. Spell kohlrabi. That's that's Ryan's favorite thing to grow and Paley's favorite thing to eat. So it's my favorite. It's funny. Love yeah, I know. It's so good. That was random. <laughs> random. Totally random. Okay, Julie. Well, uh, thanks for being on here. Thank appreciate you for it. having me. I appreciate it. Too. Okay. okay. Bye. Bye.